Hi, and welcome to episode 55 of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month, we're talking to Phil Balagtas of the Design Futures Initiative. We talk about speculative and critical design, design artifacts and prototypes, speculative design as a strategy tool, design fictions, and using design as a what-if tool, or even a story to strive for, doing meaningful work, and getting to real trust in mission-critical AI. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it's strange that we haven't done more on design in AI prototypes and how to design AI systems. So this episode, and maybe one or two in the future, will be focused on design implementation or creating AI systems. You can find more episodes at machine-ethics.net. You can contact us at hello at machine-ethics.net. You can follow us on Twitter at machine underscore ethics or on Instagram machine ethics podcast. If you're able to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Um, hi, Phil. Welcome to the podcast. Um, if you could introduce yourself to us, uh, who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Phil Balagtis. I'm a, I'm a design director based out of San Francisco, California. And I've, I've spent most of my career uh, designing digital products and experiences. And most recently, I was a director at McKinsey and Company. Awesome. Thank you. Um, if you can hear my cat coming through the headphones, people, then I apologize. He's sat on my lap right now. Um, my Cos- uh, Cosmo, my cat does. Um, thank you so much for coming on the uh, podcast, Phil. Um, it's a real pleasure. And what I was trying to do is, um, as I previously talked to you in coming on, I was kind of like, I'm a, I like to say I'm a designer. And yet we don't have a lot of design-based episodes on the podcast. Um, and I'm really interested in the kinds of things that you're doing and talking about at the moment. So that's why I kind of uh, found you and I immediately wanted to talk to you about some of this stuff because it's some of the things that um, I'm kind of slightly battling with, but also it leads into how we build stuff and how digital products are made and how how products generally are made and how we think about um, the practices we, we do and how they can then translate and hopefully become better products or better services or services which are orientated in a certain way that are well positioned to benefit society at large or better benefit our users and all this good kind of stuff. Hopefully we're going to talk to a couple of people about this stuff and have a kind of a mini design series almost, um, a mm-hmm. bit more of this. Great that I could get you and with this wealth experience with not just kind of digital products, but also kind of leading teams and being in business and all this sort of stuff as well. So the first question we'd like to ask, and it's, what is AI, Phil, to you? <laughs> Everyone has to answer it. So, <laughs> Wow, really? Yeah. Sorry well, I mean, I, I will start by saying that I've never designed uh, an AI application, not even a chatbot, though I've been on a team that has that had a chatbot as part of their product line, but I didn't have any, any uh, real experience designing one. But uh, yeah, I mean, artificial intelligence, as I understand it, is um, machine learning. That's just another word for uh, a bunch of code that basically can automate. And gosh, I've never tried to define this define this before. But basically, automate decisions uh, autonomously. So you can it can be anything from you know a chatbot that responds to questions through like you know a help desk or something, or something that's actually automated to actually run a certain process over and over again and you know, help some other operation, whatever it might be. 
it can be small or large and it can be as, as complex as like mimicking the, the human brain and how humans make decisions and you know it's a lot, a lot of different contexts yeah and and i think you were saying before that you, you, this is the kind of thing trends that come up in um what we're probably going to be talking about next in you know speculating the future future right and designing for mm -hmm. the future and having some of these um trends that are happening now maybe in technology coming through in and influencing how we um the way that i see it is almost like telling stories about the future and, and what the choices we have about the things that we design are um mm. is that kind of how you think about it in, in that way as well that it's kind of one of these trends sort of thing yeah i mean i think when i when i speak about ai and, and use that as an example of an emerging trend to keep an eye on it's because it's sort of it's an enabler it's a computing enabler that allows us to you know offload a lot of maybe complex processes and it is you know there's ai in everything these days you know from your alexa voice assistant to um you know web applications things that just kind of are smart quote unquote smart so uh, it, it's it's still evolving I, I don't even think i i would categorize it as emerging anymore but i think as um you know uh, the hardware and computing technology uh, evolves and improves you'll be able to do a lot more complex um processes and, and uh, solve a lot more complex problems like in the sciences and stuff. So we, we just talk about it as like, you know, the things that are growing and being utilized across many different sectors at different levels are things that, you know, you might want to be taking advantage of and use at some point in the future also. So, you know, it's just like having the personal computer around and you should probably, when people were doing trends back then, we're probably thinking about, well, how can we use a personal computer and uh, our everyday lives, whether it be work or home. And so that was something to probably speculate about. Um, but there's lots of other, there's lots of uh, emerging technologies. I mean, you could call a drone an emerging tech technology also, and, you know, find a number of different applications for how drones could help, you know, deliver, deliver things, deliver supplies, whatever it might be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that I've seen of you, we're talking about this in the context of, um, how do you design things or how do how do you take the possibility space of design and navigate mm -hmm. that right and there's words that come up like speculative design design fictions strategic foresight mm -hmm. and there must there must be others right and um, right. so, so i was wondering if you you were able to kind of unpack some of these for us <laughs> how much time do we have um, uh... <clears throat> well i'll start with with speculative design and um it was, it's sort of a type of design. It does, it's, it's, not, it's mostly associated with like designing for the future, speculating about how design can manifest and play a role in the future. Uh, but it doesn't have, necessarily have to be like, you know, 10 years from now, it can be speculating on just a, a product. You know, it can be a, a concept of some sort, but like real sort of um, purist speculative design, which is sort of uh, associated with critical design it's another that's another no term way, yeah. it's sometimes called speculative and critical design is is uh designed artifacts or experiences of a, a future you know product or service that is used to provoke questions and unpack you know things we might want to think about if this is a future we want or this is a type of product that we want it can be used as a prototype to understand like it, it, you know is this a thing that we want to see in the world or is it something that you know we need to kind of develop or do we really want to develop and create a north star towards like you know, it, it could be a goal, but um, you know, I think the what what I've been 
doing over the past few years is really trying to use speculative design as a strategy tool. And I've had, you know, a lot of successes and failures, but I, I strongly believe that it's, you know, another way of kind of prototyping anything in the future and allowing you to just kind of get feedback, you know, like I said, and just get feedback so that you can understand how you might want to build this thing and, and what have you forgotten or, you know, it can lead to other conversations around policy and ethics and, and all that stuff and sustainability and uh, inclusivity, you know, who's actually serving and all, all that stuff. There, there's a lot of different ways to unpack what a future thing is that isn't, you know, created yet. Um, and then strategic foresight is another type of futures um, kind of planning uh, methodology, methodology or discipline. It's mostly you'll find it in like business schools, but it, it's made up of uh, a number of different I keep calling them analytical processes. There's lots of frameworks that you can use to look at the trends that are happening today and in the past and kind of project them into the future and create the world so you can kind of build the context of the world that you want to understand. And um, you can look at the implications and what are the causes and the root causes of certain uh, trends happening or the drivers so you can really just try to understand like what's that world going to look like and of course you know it's, it's really hard to predict what the future is going to look like because there's so many factors that can influence you know culture and, and how the actual future unfolds but um, you can use this as sort of a I don't want to be so binary about it, calling it a quantitative um, approach but you can use quantitative data about trends and like level of investment or interest in the market to understand like you know where trends are scaling very quickly and what are sort of like what we call weak signals so just kind of like things that are sort of emerging they look like they have potential there's a little bit of interest in investment but there's probably a lot of potential for it to become a stronger signal you know in the next few years and the weak signals are probably the places you want to go to look at for like uh, innovation like places you might want to innovate and kind of you know, take advantage of it so that you can create the first products and services in that area. But yeah, I mean, and design fiction, again, is just another form of um, speculating about a certain, uh, about the future or future products and services through a narrative. Mm. And some, some design fiction is really like, it's very immersive. The, um, the near future laboratory is very, very, uh, they have a very specific definition around what design fiction is, and they actually like they create they create these artifacts and and they give them to people and they have them experience it as if they are you know it's a real thing, and you know it's it's also for critique, if you want, or just to kind of like you know have this thing in your life and and living with it, and you know you can have a story around it, and you know it's it's uh it's more of an immersive experience. Some spec of design products are just like there for for critical for questioning. But you know the, the power of of all these tools are just other methods for trying to look beyond the immediate tomorrow because you know it's it's kind of we just use design design thinking to just kind of think about what the what you're going to design for the next year or so because you you know the market really well you can do a bunch of user interviews and you can pretty much figure out what people are going to want but looking out you know three five ten years is a little bit um, riskier uh, it's riskier but yeah it's a little bit riskier and a little bit more mysterious because you have to try and understand like what do we know about today and in the past that can help shape a perspective or vision of the future. And these tools can help you do that. Um, and you can, you know, you can create whatever you want. If it's a future that you think is, is a necessary a product that you want to bring into fruition, you can use it to do that. Mm. 
I guess coming from the, um, obviously from the podcast and and from my perspective as kind of more on the ethical side, um, the idea that you can use these as provocations or or kind of interrogations, critiques on an idea or on a future that you know we could experience in some way, some sort of mock up or, or prototype of that, um, then leads us into the fact that you know we are then. Um, actively seeking out what we dislike or what could be negative about that situation or mm-hmm. what we steer away from, you know, what is the, if we were going to go yeah. down this road, you know, these are the things that, you know, we're going to have to look out for, for example, and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so I really like the idea of, of those sorts of uh, environmental ethical factors and all the stuff coming into that thinking as well. Yeah. I mean, it can really unearth a lot of important questions around, you know, the things that, you can should be doing and, and, and things you you know might not want to do or mm-hmm. uh, you know the sustainability of something or yeah a lot I mean and, and if you have a product that takes a, a has a very long life cycle also I use jet engines a lot but it's it's that's actually not a really great example because like a jet engine there's a lot of rigor that goes into creating a jet engine because you have to test it and, and you have to design it and test it to make sure that it's like you know flight worthy and if it fails in any way, you have all sorts of contingencies for it. And that if you can speculate about something and understand what are all these contingencies for how, you know, something could break or how it could be useful or how it could be like hacked or whatever it might be, or it's, a, it's a useful tool. It's, it's, a, it's an investigation tool. Yeah. So it could be part of that mm-hmm. kind of, um, uh, I mean, you could have put it under the safety process almost. You could be like, well, yeah. we're going to do this because it's it's helping us with this process, which um is a load of unknowns at the moment mm-hmm. we need to fill that yep. gap yeah um do, do you think that this is the sort of thing that um happens and it's like a one-off or a prototype and we spend a bunch of time on it maybe a couple of months and then we do it and we learn something we move on um and it's like this single experience of the single product um or can it happen at scale as well can it ha- can you do large scale broader kind of um, speculative design practices, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, a, there's a lot of things that you can categorize as speculative, right? I mean, just, just prototyping something and, and having a bunch of workshops around the world prototyping this one you know, idea is, you, know, that you can call that a speculative investigation of some mm. sort. So there's no rules around, you know, how big or small a speculation can be. Yeah. I kind of um, I said that because as you were talking earlier, I was thinking that you have these strange um, practices by some companies, uh, and there's a good example which is the uh, Facebook M, which was like the messenger helper, right? And mm-hmm. the idea was that you had this AI helper, and that you could ask it things. He would go away and do stuff, but actually, it wasn't. It was humans um, at the beginning, mm-hmm. so you had all these humans mm-hmm. answering these questions. Yeah. And it's almost like they are kind of throwing something into the world and trying to learn from it as quickly as they can just to justify actually making it. Like, mm. if we made this, <laughs> what mm. kinds of things would we look out for? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good practice as long as, you know, you're not like, you know, hurting anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good practice to prototype something like that and kind of understand like what's the what's the human language that you would need to be able to get someone to trust in, in that bot or whatever. Mm-mm. 
Yeah. Because I think some of the problems with chatbots are you just kind of like, oh, it's a bot. <laughs> and you kind of just like, all right, now I just, and you know, I'm just talking to a robot. And I'm going to give up on anything. Yeah, there's lots little... of things. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's all, all everything that we're doing to um, start a colony on Mars, it can be seen as speculative. I mean, that's just mm. ar architecture, really. And, you know, planning for a completely different planet is the same as planning for a future, which is going to be, you know, it's a different world. When you when you look forward, it's just a different world, and there's so many different conditions that you have to think about. You know, for Mars, it's just there's a lot of other just kind of survival conditions you have to think about, but also just like how are humans going to survive there, and you know, how are they going to not like go crazy, and like, you know, just like the what normal um, day in life might be. Yeah. But yeah, space travel and all that stuff is is a really great um, platform for speculation. I mean, they're not really speculating. I mean, there's a lot of science that they have to understand about the, about that to make make it right. But prototyping some of those ideas at first is, is a speculative exercise. Mm -hmm. And then you can learn and you can maybe make things which then feed into how that might play out. Yeah. yeah. And you're never going to, any speculative exercise is just, again, it's just a test of, of, and to uncover, ask more what if questions. And when you, if you start to build something towards that, whenever, wherever you place it in the future, you still have a lot of work and that's that's where the design process of iterate iterating and, and kind of testing it and just kind of monitoring the indicators that you thought were uh, on the road to the future and as they change you can still continue to um, modify it and improve it and it might your speculation might not be exactly as you thought it was going to be but you're you know you might be halfway there or maybe it might be completely different you never know mm -mm. so you can use it as mm -hmm. some gauge to whether you're you're heading in the right direction almost mm -hmm. uh, in that way mm -hmm. um, yeah. what do you what do you what excites you about this because um, obviously you have um this event and you have these chapters around the world um kind of talking about these different kinds of um design practices and how they how they can be developed and um used in certain instances um, and you're going to go off and do something super interesting now uh, with, you know, your future um, agency and stuff. So I was just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see yeah, if yeah that, exactly. That, um, that so we're just, um, yeah, w w what really um, gets you going about this? What, what, where do you think it's going to be uh, going uh, almost? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, it, it feels like there's a lot of interest around the world in this um, methodology. And working with clients, and, and it feels logical, right? You know, we we have tools for designing designing things, but we are also being asked to be more strategy minded, strategy focused. And you know, we can we can do a roadmap to a software product over like a two year time, mm. but what are some other ways that we can kind of think beyond that? And again, I, I've I've learned that futures. You know, there's there's a lot of people who think futures futures thinking, strategic foresight, all that stuff only happens at like five years and beyond. You can only do futures thing in like the future, and it has to be beyond a certain mm. a certain um, time period. But the the method all methods are so flexible. You can you can use them at any point, and you can use it to plan for your two year mark as well. I think the 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 usefulness around it, and it's going to be, I I believe it won't be necessarily a whole separate thing that has to be learned. Much like service design is is kind of a different thing. I don't know if, don't know if you're familiar with service design, but we're I mean we're trying to figure out that like for this to be useful to any company and you know any organization, it's 
going to have to work with design and work with other disciplines to make sure it's like a useful process mm. that you can, the company can feel um, invested in investing in it. And um, it can help you plan. It can help you, you know, uncover things that you might want to do to protect your business or protect your product line or whatever it might be, but also prepare for any potential risks. You know, all these questions that emerge allow you to just kind of unpack you know, things that we don't necessarily always think about. Sometimes we just, we're just throwing things over the fence and just kind of like letting it fail and then having to fix it. And then there's nothing totally wrong with that because you kind of, you fix things very quickly and early, but there's also, I think a lot of value in long-term planning and trying to just understand like, what we, what do we want? Where do we want to be in the next five years or three years or beyond? And, and cause it might take that much time to actually build whatever infrastructure or whatever, like, mm -hmm new operation to make sure that that future is the one that we want and we can get there and be successful and, you know, pioneer, you know, in that, in that space. Um, so it's just, a, it's just a long-term planning tool really. And I think the design aspect of it is, is interesting because we can help visualize what this future is. And, and it can be, speculative design can just be a poster. Mm. You know, it can just be a picture of what you think is going to happen in the future. But it, it allows us to put some, you know, visual element to it, and, and that sounds like, oh, it, you know, visuals are just, you know, uh, uh, cosmetic, but it can really help people like immerse themselves in the idea and and ask the questions they need to need to ask. That's a really right? good point. Um, do you have any like really good examples to kind of solidify this for for people, our audience? Mm -hmm. It's funny because I like I, I see so many so many projects, and I'm. Every time I get asked that, it's hard for me to just kind of pick pick one out. Mm. So I, I keep I keep using the same ones that I've used in my talks for like the last like five years because I've just kind of like latched onto them because they're you know interesting uh, seminal pieces of work. So I I recently came across one that's a student project out of the Royal College of Art, and I think the uh, designer's name is Paul Gong, and it's called Human Hyena, and I'd seen a, a project similar to that by Dun and Raby, but it, it talks about like, so hyenas are, are very like, they can eat anything, basically. They have a really strong digestive system and can eat, eat whatever they want. If we could like harness that process and, you know, create some tools for us to be able to digest and eat anything, what, what might they look like? And he created a bunch of um, like three different um, utensils that basically would process the, um, the food before you eat it. And they were, they're really interesting. Um, very odd looking tools. They don't look like uh, your normal silverware. And so there's a, there's a little bit of a, an artistic um, form factor to it, but it's so weird. And you know that like when things actually become designed, that part comes to fruition also. Like how do we actually design it so that it, it, it looks cool, it's functional. And you know, mm. once the industrial designer gets their hands on it, it, it doesn't look like what, it sometimes doesn't even look like what it's supposed to be. So anyway, I mean, again, it was just, it's three like fiber class or like 3D printed um, objects. And he told a story about like what it would be used for. And so the, the, the ritual becomes a question also of like, you know, what does this ritual look like? What would we use these tools for? And uh, that kind of thing. I, you know, there's not a big like ethical, well, there could be an ethical concern because like, how are you actually getting the, the technology or like the chemical processes that the hyenas use? I mean, are you taking, extracting, cells or something from animals to be able to create that. Mm. But, you know, there's a, a lot of, a lot of other questions around like uh, the 
the act of using them, where would you use it? Is it sort of a fine dining thing or is it just like an everyday thing or, you know, what, what it might be? Yeah. Yeah. I guess from um, my mind goes directly to what is the consequence of this? You know, what is, mm. what is like you were saying, the kind of the ritual, but also, you know, what impact does that have on the way that we structure our societies? You know, are there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Are there other animals that, that, that you might extract some sort of process from to help humans and then does that become like a farmed thing or mm, you know, yeah i don't know lots of lots of different um another one that I, I i always talk about is by aggie haynes and it's called transfigurations i think and it's a um uh, she's several different babies designer babies and each one is designed for different um purposes really mm -hmm. uh, one of them is um has extra folds in the in in its head and it's made to it's basically designed to work longer hours and in hotter temperatures. And we could do that today if we want to. We have the, the ability to, to modify and modulate skin. Um, and there's another one that has a missing toe where you would put a hookworm into, you'd insert a hookworm into the toe. And it's for uh, hookworms apparently, I think it's hookworms, um, are good for allergies. And so if you need to you know, cure your allergies, this person, this, this uh, child has, um, you know, predicted to have bad allergies, you could just, you know, remove the toe and then give it a hookworm every now and then. But you know, she's taking she's taking science and uh, she's very interested in the in manipulation of the body. And so, what if we could change our bodies at birth? What would we actually? What are the kind of uh, applications we would we would use? You know, how would we want to change our children? And then, you know, the child can't actually speak and say yes or no and mm. think about the consequences of that. So, you would just have to, you know, who makes that call? Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Gattaca, the the film about um, those who are born with certain genes and those who are not. Yeah. And all those, and there must be lots of different examples. Um, it, mm. It's quite harrowing because I actually do have a baby at the moment as well. So it's a very visceral idea to be able to change something about her that mm -hmm. she doesn't have control over. Um, mm. And obviously I'm the guardian and having to look after her until she is you know, much older. So I have certain amount of powers at the moment to do things to her, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not culturally um, well understood that you directly change the body in that way. Um, mm. But as you said, like there are possibilities there and, and, and things, other tools like um, CRISPR, asinine to change, you know, gene editing and stuff like that. Um mm. So, you know, it always comes back to this, the, the examples of um, uh, Black Mirror, but they are close at hand, these these types of uh, provocations, right? Um, yeah, gene editing. So understanding the human genome was such a, a huge feat and such mm -hmm. a huge um, accomplishment to understand DNA in the body. And now that gene therapy is is sort of more more accepted, you know, we could have been doing more speculative work early on when we discovered like, oh, we can actually edit genes and actually cure a lot of diseases and do all all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, I th there's a lot of ethical implications around that too. Mm. I, the, the sciences and, and so sort of the, the biological sciences and a lot of places where like, you know, there's not necessarily a, a consumer software product or some sort of you know product software, but there's like they're they're coming up with technology that can someday benefit the world or synthesize something completely new. There are a lot of questions you can be asking around that. Like what are the products that, that we will need? How could we actually use that technology to create products? And then, 
you know, just like uh, cellular, ag cellular agriculture, which is the, the science of synthesizing meats in the lab, mm. is not actually, uh, I guess it's, it's not, uh, I, some people would say it's not very ethical because you're actually taking the scaffolding from animal cells. And supposedly, if you're synthesizing meat, then you're not killing animals, but mm. those cells have to come from somewhere anyway. So it's kind of a weird um, junction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I guess we could go down a whole kind of, um, uh, what does it mean to be a biological being and be worth our moral consideration? Um, but we shan't do that now. Um, maybe another time. Um, so I the way, the way that some of this is portrayed um, and you are, um, I'm welcoming an argument against this, is it seems like... Um, very akin to some people's uh, fine art practice or you know modern fine art practice where you're you're almost responding to you're you're picking up a, a mirror to society and it just happens that you're taking that mirror maybe 10 years into the future instead of having it um, in your face now yeah what what what's the question i just don't know if you agree do you, do you agree with that sort of kind of assessment a pithy assessment <laughs> <laughs> that's what black mirror that that's what black mirror is doing no 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 like um so you were saying those examples for example um weren't necessarily for product development they were kind of more fine art practice they were there they were uh, yeah it, it was definitely a, it was an academic exercise yeah and a lot of a lot of the work that came out of the universities they were practicing critical design were ended up in museums and they were just like student work and didn't really go far yeah but i think what we've been trying to do is like reshape the 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 language and the application of it and say like you can actually you, you can do a speculative software product you can do speculative anything really i mean all, all speculation is it's just like you're speculating right you're just guessing when the, it's it's actually it's structured guessing because mm -hmm. you can it's based on research hopefully hopefully you're doing the right thing um, or you can, or not, you can just come up with some crazy idea and, and, you know, present that to someone. But again, I think that the value comes from just like using it to, to really understand something. And if, mm. especially if it's something that is like, you know, life, life critical or societal critical, or like, you know, important for, um, your business and you just really want to ask the right questions. Mm. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. I mean, and it's not that design is like lacking in that. And this is these are just additional tools. There are additional frameworks for for how you ask those questions. And and, and it, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, I was going to say like you know the the immersive experiences are really good because it's not just like you know something sitting on a, on like a, a pedestal in, a, in an art museum. You actually can actually you know you can actually see what it's like to actually walk around in a space or um, you know, pick, pick objects up and touch them and, and ask questions about behaviors and see what kind of like behaviors might unearth and what new ones might arrive and how do we plan for those? You know, you, mm. you just, you know lots of things can, can happen. And, and do you find that there's a lot of kind of um, user research happening in that point where you're observing the reaction to whatever the kind of prototype is or the, the, the thing? Yeah. Hopefully, mm. I mean, hopefully, when people are doing speculative work, they're using it as a research tool. Mm. Sometimes uh, it's just sort of like, oh, here's a thing that could happen. Here's a product that could be made. You know, what if? What if this happened? Do you want it or not? You know, is this the thing that you really want or not? And and it's just very simple. But some of it is can be used for like rigorous study and investigation around like is you know what are all the different dimensions of this thing, mm. or is you know the potential use of it. 
I mean, I, I believe we should be asking more of those type of questions with things like AI, things where you know we're already sort of afraid of of automating too much and potentially automation sending us down the wrong path or you know making an incorrect decision. Um, so we should be doing that kind of regularly, just like the, en the the engine testing. We should be really thinking about everything about it, especially if it's going to be affecting lots of people. Yeah, and um, so we we could be doing more of these provocations around. Um, well, especially companies that are, you know, the big five companies doing a lot in this space. I know there's lots of smaller companies, but um, you have the Googles of this world. Um, and making some of this reality, and maybe they should be having more of a conversation maybe around this. Um, and I have no doubt that they are doing a lot of research. Um but this is a, a way that they could be doing this research, basically. You know, we could be making these prototypes and, and trialing them and, you know, getting that feedback from from real interaction and real response and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, so like working at, at places like McKinsey or, or even just kind of testing out the process um, lightly at GE, mm. uh, you know, I've had to discover that, like, it, it doesn't always look as, like, futuristic and and um conceptual and profound as some of the other like you know academic work does but again if you're just using it as a function to ask new questions it can be useful and it can become the roadmap mm. towards the thing that you want so do you do you ever find yourself um kind of iterating on on that vision and to the fact i think you were maybe alluding to it earlier that you had got this kind of poster that you could kind of put in the office and that that was like a steering you, you tool for you know the project or the team or whatever you know surprisingly i i don't <laughs> it's very hard for me to do like features on my personal life even though mm. i do talk about how it can be used that way mm. i sort of naturally always thinking about you know possibilities and sometimes more negative than positive but um no i don't have you know right now i think with with what we're doing at dfi at the at the nonprofit design features initiative and Everything has organically grown mm. over the years. It's been very surprising to know that people in all parts of the world are like interested in it. And I always get these like um, like messages saying like, "Oh, we're so glad you're doing this," and and, and thank you. And I'm like, "Oh, I didn't do anything really. We just kind of we create we create the platform, and that's all we're doing." And mm. and literally, like, I mean, I guess we could say we did a good job of social media, but. I think it's been interesting seeing all the different types of um, applications and interests because you know, and there, it, you can use it for government work. Um, there's a lot of different uses for it, and mm. I think we're, we're starting to see the the flexibility of the frameworks. And you know, some people might not feel like, oh, this is actual strategic foresight, or this is actual futures thinking, or this is respective design. That's just design. Mm. Who cares what it's called? Yeah. You know, I think I think as long as it's useful and then we can do something positive with it. Then great. Mm. I don't care. I don't. I don't really care what we call it. It might not even be called speculative design in the future. It might be something else. Yeah, I I find that like um, a sort of akin to how people think of agile development, where you're you're mm. saying there's this other way of doing project management, and we just happen to give it a name, and whether you do it like all the same as someone else, it doesn't really matter. You're just doing this. Mm -hmm. You just this top level idea is that you do things quickly and you iterate and uh, learn and, and feedback quickly and stuff like that. It's not kind of mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts of maybe how that plays out is important. Yeah. Um, and for me, I actually do reach for some of this stuff. So um, in my own practice, I sometimes do um, 
um, kind of stories, so um, fictional future stories. Mm-hmm. Not okay. saying that succinctly, um, and uh, consequence kind of um, scanning, um, and those two things. So, kind of creating some sort of narrative about the possible futures, and then maybe kind of making some sort of map about how those futures could be created, then provides me with a load of kind of um, hopefully ethical questions or considerations around the product, and and mm-hmm. that feeds yeah. into some some of the stuff that I mm-hmm. then advise on, right? Um, so um, already I'm finding um, myself kind of reaching for some of these practices um, and I'm hoping to kind of, you know, at some point feed that back um, to the community uh, and allude to the fact it works or doesn't work. So stay tuned for that. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, I think the, the more co- most common framework that I use is called the implications wheel or, or the futures wheel. Mm. And all it is, is it's a map. It's basically like a mind map that helps you generate a bunch of consequences, first order, second order, third order, or you can do it on based on time. So in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, when things might happen, both positive and negative. Mm. And granted, it creates a massive library of, of different consequences. And you can't solve for every single one. It, at least it, it allows you, again, to ask the questions of, of, of what you might want to consider and prioritize yeah i think i do something similar with with the time element for sure mm -hmm. yeah yeah then trying to transition those into mitigations or uh specifications like i you almost can group them after that um but that's that's kind of specific to the way that i'm channeling this stuff into the way that it is impacted society and individuals and and users so Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think i fully answered your question about um, using futures, um, we, I don't, it, it's hard to have a strategy for what we're doing at DFI because mm-hmm. it, the organic growth, and sorry, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to put into context, like how it shows up in my life mm-hmm. also, yep. we're still sort of agile and we're, we're kind of listening to the community and just kind of watching grow. But I think the, the future vision of any sort is to kind of have these places where people can come and talk about what they're doing around the world and inspire other people to also do the same thing and try to like find new problems to solve with the, with the methods and it's not just you know you know f- just those particular types of methods like yep. strategic thinking in general anyone who's thinking about the future could be science fiction or whatever and um yeah i mean i just hope hoping we can have primer conferences in, in major regions of the world we can have more cities and and really reach out to places that really could use it at any in in any flexible manner mm-hmm. really if there was a if there was a you, you're talking about the community and how you how we can kind of learn from each other if there was a a client who came to you tomorrow with a, an interesting project what kind of project would that be oh gosh i don't know <laughs> um i feel like you know i want to say like an important one <laughs> you know I, i've been trying to get into public sector work for some for some time and i know government work is hard and and processes and red tape and all that stuff is slow but um, you know, I don't, I, I've done retail and advertising and B two B enterprise stuff, but doing things that kind of affect a lot of people who have like trouble accessing um, information or like you know the convoluted process of like starting a business in a city or something like that. You know, public yeah. sector work that that can help people who who don't necessarily have um, tools or access to something would be good mm. you know 
innovating, providing innovation for processes that actually like delivering like food or whatever to people that need it. Things that I can, that can actually be useful to people. And it's not that the things that I've been designing aren't useful, but I, it'd be nice to just kind of be a part of something where we're really impacting lives uh, dramatically, like really kind of um, helping people. Mm. But I've, I've been you know nervous to kind of seek out those things because it's hard to get uh, into government work. So I don't know. Um, I'm hoping maybe going on on my own as kind of an individual advisor, I might be able to find something like that that I could I could tap into. Yeah. So if anyone's listening, um, we'll have Phil's <laughs> details at the end. Um, so. Okay. We're getting towards the end now. Um, the question we always ask um, near the end is what scares you? And on the flip side, what excites you about um, the future, this automated AI mediated future? I know we haven't been talking too specifically about this stuff, um, but is there something that grabs you about um, you know, a current trend in machine learning and, and AI that is exciting and that maybe is is um awful <laughs> <laughs> awful i mean i think um trusting trusting in ai to to you know manage certain processes is you have to have a lot of confidence in it and you know when it's mission critical stuff you know whether it's like uh, autopilot or something and having to make you know decisions that really do take um, really need humans and 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 can be AI assisted, I think are um, it's exciting to have to have something where we can actually offload a lot of the work that you know sometimes takes very long time to process. Mm. We've got so much so much data sometimes with a lot of companies where um, companies that are going, undergoing digital transfer, transformation have a lot of data to basically make use of and take advantage of to create some new digital tools or whatever. Yep. So processing a lot of information is um, uh, an important task. But relying on that when it, when it is, is also relying in, and having confidence that it can actually make the right decision for you when you need it and not have to question it is, is also something that um, can be scary as well because you could forget something or mm. it could forget something or you know, whatever it might be. But I, you know, it's not. I don't think AI is going any any away any, anytime soon. And even if it's not super excellent at certain things, I think there's a lot of room for development. And, and with the rate of how we are developing this, and all the different people that are working on these kind of tools, I think we're going to have a very exciting future. And and some things will be easier. Yeah. You know? Do you think you'll lose your job to AI, or um... I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, I'd like to believe that I have some kind of unique um, offering or, or capability that can be useful. Mm. But who knows? They could have an AI that can be the design director or facilitate workshops or plan out a strategy or something. Who knows? Yep. <laughs> Maybe. Well, until then, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> how can people uh, find out about you, follow you, um, contact you? Uh, LinkedIn is a good good place. You can just look up my name, Phil, Phil Belactus. Uh I have a Twitter account at Nashacom1. The Design Features Initiative Twitter account is at features underscore design. And then we have also a Zootopia, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. But if you get, if you look it up on, I think, uh, Instagram, which is, I think, at Zootopia underscore show, you should get the other socials there. That's that's the podcast, Zootopia. Yeah, and what do you talk about in the podcast? Um, what 
whatever people are interested in. We, we basically just ask people to bring in articles that they're interested in. They find funny, uh, compelling, weird or whatever. And we, we riff about them for 45 minutes. We just kind of discuss what, what the, the content of the article, what it means, what it means to society or speculate on future products and services, whatever it might be. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm constantly looking at, at, at articles and reposting them for my our tiny little little Facebook page. And so I've always wanted people to kind of use that as fodder for speculation and come up with ideas or come up with big questions. And so I was like, let's do a show about this. I've always wanted to, to talk about this stuff. So mm. yeah, that's basically it. Awesome. So check that out. Thank you so much for spending this time with me uh, on a Sunday, no less. So double thank you. Um, I will speak to you sometime soon and it's fabulous having you on the show and um, thank you. check out your podcast thanks Ben all the best take care have a good day bye hi and welcome to the end of the podcast thanks again to Phil it was a real pleasure to talk to him as I do some design consultancy and work with AI teams it was really interesting to talk to Phil about um, speculative design and its usefulness and how it can be applied in different ways and maybe how it isn't just this kind of nice to have and could be built into your process, uh, especially a discovery process. Um, in our next design episode, we'll also be talking about value sensitive design, so check that out. Thanks again for listening and if you can, please support us at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks again and see you next time.